I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. Okay, okay bye. That was the end. I'm trying to get to a fucking end. Will you let it fucking end? Jesus Christ. You ever how I try to do like a funny part and then I'll cut the music. You're being hysterical. I just wanted to. So oh, wait. Oh, wait. No, go. I have one more cut thing. Cut it off. Jesus Cut it off. I have one more thing. I'm going to cut it off. Oh. A simple question. Where did the film come from, Las Ventria? Where is this inspired from? Uh, the film comes from a very sick mind. That's all we know. I think it's it's very cruel to put us here and make us know that we're going to die and make us know that whatever step we take will be evil in one way or another and let's, you know, plants and animals have a war on each other. I played around with the idea that this was the only life and would forever be the only life. I have an idea that that women are more scared about their sexuality than men. Maybe it's not true, but uh, but that was anyway the thesis again that I used in the film. I pick up a story or some research material that is provoking me. That means that all this witch material is of course provoking me because for me it's nonsense, but I liked it to be in the film because it, it uh, opens up uh, a discussion and I'm trying to, to do it as convincing as I can. It would be ridiculous to say that women are more evil than men. I, I don't think so, I, I, but, but, but on the other hand, I, I wouldn't agree to, 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 uh, to the opposite, that men are more evil than women. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hi. Hi. This week, Till Death Do Us Part, talking about unholy matrimony, Mm. always uh, fertile soil for horror, terror, all scary things. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't get much scarier than wedded bliss. Uh, we've got a couple, I think, pretty choice selections this week, and uh, personally, I think nothing says unholy matrimony like the 2009 film called Antichrist. Uh, this is written and directed by Lars von Trier. This is on uh, Criterion right now, and there's a bunch of uh, bonus uh, material on there, making of the movie and stuff like that. You can also rent it on a couple platforms. I hadn't seen this in a while. This is uh, a lot. This movie is kind of a trip. It's the story of a uh, a family. It's a family picture, is what this is. Mm-hmm. You have uh, he and she. Yeah, it could have been done by Pixar. Yeah, yeah. This is something for the kids. Um, you have he and she. He is played by Willem Dafoe. She is played by Charlotte Gainsbourg. They are parents of a toddler-aged child named Nick. The movie opens with he and she. They don't have names. Uh, in the throes of a passionate lovemaking. And they're so uh, into their lust and their love uh, everlasting that they don't notice that little Nick 
has crawled out of his crib and he's opened the baby gate. He's gone to the open, unscreened window of their apartment building and falls right out the window onto the sidewalk. That's just like the first five minutes of the movie. From there, things devolve pretty quickly, of course, between he and she. She falls into something known as uh, atypical grief, which is, I guess, a thing when somebody gets beyond what uh, you would typically expect, even under like tragic circumstances like that, uh, into this extended, uh, elongated period of just being like sort of catatonic, kind of like immobile. She's under a doctor's care, um, doesn't seem to be getting any better, can't seem to move past this uh, loss. And he decides that her care is being mismanaged um, and that uh, the doctors don't know what they're doing and she doesn't need all this medication. And he is, of course, a therapist. And he decides that nobody knows his wonderful wife better than him. Nobody can treat her better than him as a professional or as a husband. And he decides that uh, he's going to take her to their cabin in the woods and help her confront all of her deepest fears with his talking therapy. Um, That actually kind of goes okay. And uh, then there is a... Uh, sort of a turn in this movie. And I want to be very careful because there is a reveal in this film that I think it's really important to not spoil. We can talk about it later. But after the uh, sort of reveal in the story, uh, things go downhill. There is a lot of violence, a lot of very graphic uh, violence in this movie. Uh, She attacks he and they kind of just devolve into this whole crazy battle. This movie is... um, Somewhat infamous for some of the graphic um, violent scenes. There is uh, unsimulated sex scenes in this and all manner of stuff like that. I love this movie. It's very, very weird. It's a lot. I'd love to hear what you guys think about a cat. I'm assuming you have not seen Antichrist before. That is correct. I'm glad you loved this movie that well, says sure a lot of things about you, Trent. <laughs> um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, the first is Why? Uh, the second is, who hurt Lars von Trier? That's what I want to know, to be honest. <laughs> His mom. So, well, that'll do it, I guess. So this movie is about how women are evil, that women is the Antichrist, I guess, uh, which is interesting because instead of any male characters in the film feeling this way, it instead comes from the only female character. Uh, she's the one that feels like that. And in this movie, it certainly appears that at least this one is pretty evil. She's evil, mostly mentally ill, I would say, but also just fucked up. Um, instead of criticizing the text that she's been studying for her thesis on uh, femicide, she instead starts to agree with them and believe them, and it kind of spirals <laughs> from there, which is fun. It reminds me of all the uh, you know feminist uh, women's courses that I took in college. It's mm, uh, mm. really takes me back. Um, but I guess in that in like that aspect, I wonder why she takes it out on this poor Willem Dafoe character. Uh, what did all the fucked up shit that she did to him have to do with any of that? Uh, was it her just like leaning into this evilness that she thought that she possessed? Was she trying to get him to not leave her? It makes no sense. And you can't blame the grief because it appears that she went crazy pants way before the death of Lil Nicky. Um a crying woman is a scheming woman. That's true. <laughs> that is true. I will say that for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but obviously, I think we all know that the part that irked my poor little eyeballs the most was the, sc- the scissor cutting moment. 
Uh, no, I will not be watching the extended cut, Trent. Uh, yes, I will be throwing all of my scissors away. Besides the sexual horror I had to witness, the cinematography is beautiful. Uh, the witchy connection was interesting. And if we forget the end, it was a visually appealing film. Um, I'm not saying the man Lars isn't talented, but this this one might not be my cup of tea, if I'm being honest. <laughs> this is a movie I think I will be okay only watching the one time, maybe. So, Kevin, what did you think? Yeah, this is a lot. It taught me a lot about parenting. I think uh, yes. yeah, I took a lot of good notes on uh, you know what to do as a parent. As a husband, um, had a lot of calls today where I basically, you know, told my wife that everything that she was saying is wrong and, and don't worry, like, I'll figure it out. We're going to head up north to a cabin and we'll figure out how I'm right and you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but honestly, this movie's horrible. It's, it's really, really hard to watch, but it's really beautiful to watch. And I fucking love this movie. Regardless of what Von Trier's intention was, it's such an important movie because we can talk about this for hours and hours and get a lot of good discussion out of it. So I think when it came out and there was such a visceral response at Cannes and the media was going nuts on Von Trier and they were trying to ask him what his intent was, I don't think it matters. What matters is what he did put in front of us for about an hour and 50 minutes or so and what we take out of it. Uh, I, I I think that Von Trier has a lot of issues and definitely some mommy issues. He totally is Pearl Jam alive. Where yes, true story. Like right. he didn't know that his dad, you know, wasn't his dad for his entire life until like his mom dropped it on him one day. He, he's got some fucking issues, but I don't want to like really try to talk about Von Trier's issues and what he put into Antichrist. I just want to talk about what he made us watch. And it's horrible. I think a lot of it is about nature and it actually, I was, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, nothing about this movie pleasantly surprised me, but I was intrigued by the fact that the movies we talked about last week had so much to do with nature and mother nature and that we picked this movie for this week and it's very deep in that too. Like this movie is about nature, right. but it's about human nature yes. and it's about mother nature. So they're very different things. And then if you want to break it down a little bit more, it's about man's nature versus woman's nature. And I think that's where I really grabbed onto this movie where, you know, witchy stuff aside, um, the sisters of Rastabon, the three beggars, like all this stuff aside, it's literally at the end of the day for me personally, because all of us are going to take this movie different ways. It was what is the nature of man? What is the nature of woman? And where are we all in terms of our relationship to nature itself, to mother nature, to the earth? And why did Von Trier decide, like Kat, you said, I was actually going to ask why this movie was called Antichrist, but why, why does this movie, or does it, try to say that women are inherently evil and the Antichrist? So... I'm going to pass it on because there's way too much to unpack here, but I'm going to say this is a very important movie. Violence aside, misogyny discussions aside, it's two unbelievable performances by Willem Dafoe and by Charlotte Gainsbourg. And I, I, I think it's... I'm going to cut you off like <laughs> vagina lips. <laughs> <laughs> I just was waiting to say that. Yeah, I know. 
you know, this movie is really, really out there. Um, it puts the shoe on the other foot, so to speak. Um, <laughs> Good news. Uh, but I'm a big, big fan of, uh, you know, French cinema, French horror movies, French uh, pop music. Serge Gainsbourg is one of my favorite artists of all time, and Charlotte is his daughter. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. I didn't wow. think of only, that. He only made fucked up music in his career. Yeah. All oh, his man. lyrics are really messed wow. up. Like blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, Damn. And then he has his daughter, Charlotte Gainsbourg, with Jane Birkin. She pretty much only does fucked up, weird movies, which I appreciate uh, that she got that gene from her dad. And, uh, you know, the French are always kind of extreme so it's cool that she's kind of infiltrated american cinema and we get a little taste of that in you know like movies that we see here all the time that are in english and with willem dafoe speaking of wee wee uh there's a real penis in this movie sure is um it's not a real penis it is a real penis sir it's just not willem dafoe's real it's penis. it's a body double penis and I, I will get to the penis story after that's not why i'm starting this but i just wanted to say wee wee um <laughs> uh, that's all i have for, for notes here i have wee wee real penis serge gainsbourg um, <laughs> but yeah it's a fucked up movie uh, you know i was the last one on the take so you guys have revealed a lot of the stuff um but there's a lot of like, like brutal, like real relationship fighty stuff that uh, the way they film it and like the way, like when he's in the hole and she has like the shovel. Oh man, oh it's God. like so brutal. Uh, but it's so like real, like all the the acting of the the fighting scenes and the violent scenes are always like so good. And the intro shot that is all in black and white and it's slowed down they must have filmed it at like no whatever frames per second but uh, thousand frames so beautiful the whole beginning part is ugly of a subject as it is it's very beautifully shot and it's like one of the best like black and white compositions i've ever seen like every frame is like a work of art in the beginning of this and the rest of it's cool too but it's way different Uh, a lot of handheld stuff um, and a lot of like walking through the woods, kind of like the uh, camera movements of the characters. But um, yeah, I I didn't love this movie. I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I appreciate that it exists. And it almost reminds me of like those, you know, we were talking about the mutilator. And there's that one scene that everyone talks about because it's so crazy. And that's almost like a the era that this came out there was a lot of movies that were like that we're like have you seen the movie where that happens yes right you know, and this is like this one has of that. that right did you see i think we can say it she cuts her own clit off with a pair of scissors that's the scene that everybody is like oh my god not that there's also plenty of other horrific violence <sighs> but but that's the scene it, mm. it reminded me a little bit of uh possession uh from like 1981 with uh, Sam Neill, like an early Sam Neill role. But anyway, uh, it's just this, like, this breakdown of uh, the female character. She gets like really evil. Um, but it reminded me a, a little bit of, of that movie. And I don't know. I, I wish it was kind of like less supernatural and more just really grimy drama because that was the part I was enjoying the most from it not supernatural but i don't even know what there was some kind of like 
biblical shit happening at the end or some yes, kind of... Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I was very confused, but I'm rarely not confused when watching like a Lars von Trier uh, yeah. movie. So I kind of expected that. Uh, it's definitely a weirdo movie. <laughs> uh, the, it is like very biblical in a lot of ways. And I'm not, like, I'm not that up on my Bible. And so, you know, whenever, whenever movies um, or music you know, or poems or whatever, whenever it gets into like the biblical stuff, I, I, I have a limited frame of reference, but the, the cabin in the woods that he and she go to, to do therapy, uh, is they call it Eden, which is like, a the least subtle hint, um, imaginable. So <laughs> yeah. it's, and, and there's a lot to talk. I, I just think there's so much to talk about this movie cat you said you're glad that I love it. I'm, you know, when I say I love it, I love it because it does give, one so much to think about and it is not spoon feeding you any easy answers i will say it's i don't think it has anything to do with like misogyny as a value or something it's not about like women are antichrist or something that's it's giving in my in my opinion it's way over my head obviously most of it but um the one thing that's remarkable as far as the idea of misogyny is that he somehow comes off Despite all the things that she does in this movie, he comes off like as insufferable as anyone. He's like terrible. So it's it's not like some sort of sympathetic portrait of a of a poor guy. He's pretty awful. Um, but I think it, it's trying to do this like mirror image Garden of Eden thing where um, everything is kind of reversed. And this this movie was supposed to be made earlier than it was. It was supposed to start production um, in like the the mid two thousands and. One of the producers and one of the founders of of uh, Von Trier's production company, uh, l- like let it slip or something that they were they were going to make a movie where it turned out at the end that the the world was made by Satan instead of God, and once that sort of idea got out, that Lars Von Trier rewrote the movie, decided to cancel it, and uh, and like went into the severe depression or whatever, and wrote this. So there's a lot of like allegorical weird stuff going on that I can't uh, pretend to like totally get but um, I don't think that it's it's message is not like women are bad it's messages that like everything is evil and you know the Satan rules chaos rules that's like or chaos reigns that's what the fox says right to me that's like the idea of it well, it's also what like does the, fo- the what does the fox say <laughs> there was also like the dynamic of like him being a therapist Yes. That was a little bit like it's anti-therapy. If it's any, if yeah, it's anti-anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like a big conflict of interest. It's like his wife, yes. and he's grieving too, but he doesn't yes. really seem to be. So when she's saying those things that seem pretty combative, at that one point about you weren't there last summer, uh, you were really, you know, I, she was writing somewhere and took the sun with her. And you kind of get the feeling a little bit that maybe he was a little bit checked out and that he's just kind of like mansplaining her grief to her during this thing. So it's not necessarily fully like misogynistic. I I feel like there's also things in his character. Yes. Like uh, his, his approach of therapy, especially there's one line where he's like, you shouldn't be fucking your therapist. Which we can you know, so weird. go back to like, well, maybe you shouldn't be her therapist because you're her husband and should be her grieving partner right now. But like Dave, you talking about how he is sort of checked out and not grieving the beginning, like when they cut after the beautiful intro that you talked about, or I guess the beautifully tragic 
intro in black and white. <laughs> Where the little kid dies. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Yep. Yep. That one. And they go to the funeral. He is actually grieving heavily. Like he's weeping. He's, you know, and she is actually like completely checked out as and, and it's like the point of view is like almost from like the casket like it's really i think a lot of people miss it because it's so that that opening the black and white opening is so powerful but when they go to the funeral defoe is a mess he is a mess she is just like uh catatonic well, the and then the she movie, dro- then like, she drops then like she drops and collapses and, what's that the rest of the movie, the way they play it out, whether it's intentional or not, it's like something that's happening to her. And he's pretty even. Like he's just Maybe he's just like that and he's good like that. But Right. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm almost agreeing with you, but like bringing up this point to make it even more intriguing as to why that happened. Because at first, he was the one grieving. She was not. And then when she has a full breakdown, goes into the hospital, that's when he is like, he snaps back into sort of catatonic and like very deliberate yes, mode. Exactly. And at one yeah. point she says to him, you were never this interested in me until I was your patient. Yes. Yes. I don't know if it's because I was so enamored by how crazy pants, uh, the wife was, but I didn't find Willem Dafoe's character that unlikable. Big dick energy. It's you're, that BDE. Yeah. I think that might be because you're used to guys acting like that all the time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Ooh. But he's, wow. he's actually, his character is kind of insufferable. Really? Yeah. She's oh. grieving oh, the death so of her bad. child and he pulls so her off all of her medications and takes her away from the doctors that have been treating her to a cabin where he's going to talk at her therapy mm-hmm. 24 hours a day. It's like kind of fucked up, but I think it's so to the, typical. To the place where he asks her, where are you the most scared? He literally takes her to the place that she has divulged yes. to him is where I feel the most scared. Right, where she feels the most scared because he's going to talk her through. Like, it's so it's so typically, like, terribly. Men are trash. I, I just want to say Thank that real you. quick. Thank men you. are trash. And this is a good example of when men are trash and they're doing stuff like this. I think it's so commonplace that um, it might not. I, it's interesting that you didn't think he was terrible. Yeah, maybe if, if the last... Um Six months of my life have taught me anything. That men are trash. That's true. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a new. That's, that's not new. No. Um, but it just reiterated. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of. Uh, I'm having a self-reflecting moment right now uh, while talking about Antichrist. <laughs> to be honest. Um, so maybe just time. give me a beat um, uh, so I can uh, kind well, of. Let's. You. We think mentioned about the it. dick. I want to clear up the dick confusion Please. because Kevin, you mentioned a fake dick. Was I didn't realize fake there was. Dick. Is there a fake dick in this? I. What I had heard is that. Okay. So this. I mean, this is this is a big reveal early on in this episode. But <laughs> what I had heard is that Von Trier had a fake dick made because Willem Dafoe apparently is very well endowed. Okay. And he did not want this big of a dick happening. That's in what the I seen. That's what I the, understood, but I thought they got a double scene. with a smaller dick. Yes, I, it could be a body oh, double. I heard it was a fake dick. It is because there's unsimulated sex. That's a re, that's a real sex scene in the beginning, and it's a, they they hired a couple um, actors from uh, pornography to do that instead of. So it wasn't. So it wasn't Willem Dafoe. No, that and wasn't. Charlotte they weren't Gainsbourg having sex. Having no, sex. those were doubles. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. So I was watching all the all the uh, extras that were on uh, Criterion, which whew, that's a lot. 
uh, I was like, man. So Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg just had this whole like press tour after having a bunch of sex in no, front of a yeah, bunch no, of people did. on film. <laughs> they probably had sex, but not in the movie. Woo. If, if that was <laughs> if that was a fake dick, then that was the greatest special effect that we've seen yet on the show. <laughs> no, it wasn't Willem's dick. Um, and while we're on the dick, I know this that is a lot vein. of a lot of dick here, but I just for me Woo. it was special. I had forgotten when the um, the dick jizzes blood. No. Oh. Um, it, no. This, oh, I had not. Yeah, it, this was. I had forgotten about that. This is the second movie I've seen in two months where I got to watch uh, a dick jizz blood everywhere. What was what? the other one? What's the other one? Romantic, yeah. that German movie. There's a big oh. Um, oh. Uh, blood jizz scene in that. Nice. Well. Yeah, where do we go from there? Well, Who wants I to pick came, up the uh, convo? Move on to something else. <laughs> 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 the whole thing with the cabin reminded me that there's never been a movie that I'm aware of and I've looked uh, there has not that I can find ever in history been uh, a movie that was at least you know commercially released called Stabbing Cabin wow which which could have been an alternate title for Antichrist but I I, you know someday I hope to make Stabbing Cabin well this movie if they both had just grieved together and then decided they were riddled with guilt and they both had to cut off their dicks i would that would be like my favorite movie like the like the horror version of the notebook or something like yeah exactly maybe they're yeah they're they're 80 years old and they both are like let's cut off our dicks we're not getting over this well she cut off her dick that's stabbing cabin let's go boom (laughs) (laughs) well his his dick does get brutalized and, and that was a pretty tough scene. She just like throws a big just came out of just nowhere. Him as a log right oh. on his prone <laughs> dick. <laughs> oh, I, I have a question uh, for everyone. Uh. Maybe you, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but uh, toward the end of the movie, when um, she is kind of reliving the moment when little Nick died, fell out the window, she's like envisioning the moment in her mind. When they show you that scene at the beginning of the movie. The, the he and she don't they're they're totally consumed with each other it doesn't show them having any acknowledgement in the moment of what nick is doing but when she is is visualizing it toward the end of the movie it shows her open her eyes and look over and see nick start to climb on the table did you get was that that is actually one of the problems that a lot of people who don't like this movie have with it is the intro shows you Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, he and she, fucking in the shower, fucking in the laundry room, fucking in the bed. <laughs> and then it cuts <laughs> to the kid seeing a balloon tied to a teddy bear. And then it also cuts to a baby monitor with mute on. So they're not going to be bothered while they're doing their sexy time. When it comes to the end... Because at, at one point, Willem Dafoe gets to the cabin and he gets the coroner's report and he opens it up and reads it. But they don't show the viewer of the movie what he reads in the coroner's report. Right. Eventually, he does reveal that what, what it is, is... Let's save this for the end of the episode. I, I didn't want to give them the main reveal of the, of the movie. I mean, I think a lot of this, that hey, we, we've kind of like brushed over it. I think we've gotten into the fact that like, you know, he brings her out to the cabin to Eden and... It's way out in the middle of nowhere. They have to hike it. She's terrified of of actual nature and doesn't want to be in the grass. 
But what she was out there the previous summer doing was writing apparently her college thesis on gynocide, on the intentional killing of women or girls just because they're simply female, and she couldn't finish that. And at some point, he, Defoe, finds all of her research on this, and that's where we get into Great like scene. a little bit of the folklore stuff and a little bit of the witchy stuff, and he finds this this journal where her handwriting gets like increasingly more like illegible. And that I I that is where I think people can find a problem with like von Trier's take on this. And that I would I would disagree, I guess. I, I've read a lot about this movie, a lot of much more educated people than myself on this movie. And I think that what Von Trier was trying to say, and in, in, through Defoe's character, is we can't comprehend this as men. Like, we literally can't. Like, he's trying to show a female character grappling with why females have been treated this way for this long, and even she couldn't. And in that, I think he's admitting there's no chance that we could. I think that's a really good point, because what happens in the story is that her, her research somehow into her thesis... Um, she starts the materials that she's using about all the the crimes committed against women in history and witch trials and things like that. She actually like starts inverting this and and starts believing it. Yeah, uh, and, and she becomes a disciple of the of the idea that she was set out to you know to disprove, um, and that ties into other elements of the story. And she basically says as much to to he. And the way that this, the story is structured is such that it just, I love how it set all of that up. And then there is that reveal that is like, man, I just, I wish I could see it for the first time again. So yeah, th- all of that stuff is going on. And, and it is, again, like, I don't, I don't pretend to understand exactly what this movie is about, but it's about a lot to me. And I just, I really enjoy thinking about it and watching it again and reading about it and trying to like decipher, I don't know, as much as I can out of it. I don't know, Kat. How how far off? How how far off am I on this? What do you mean? Just like in terms of von Trier essentially admitting that like men could never understand women, and that's why he's showing her as like literally women can't even understand women, and that's how off the mark he is. I mean, I don't understand women. I can hardly understand myself, to be fucking honest. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the visuals in this, and some of the just the pure filmmaking stuff, I really, really liked. Um, for example, like the acorns that fall on the oh. cabin. The entire time they're there, these oak trees are dropping acorns like rain on the cabin. And it's so like disconcerting and unnerving. It's kind of like scary. Yeah, it's creepy. Um, yes. Yes, and all the animal stuff. Um, we talked about the fox for a second that uh, that pronounces uh, chaos reigns. But there's a deer and there's a crow and and some of the making of stuff on Criterion that you can watch. All of those animals were real, and they had a this crazy animal trainer guy on yeah. the set who like taught the animals to do as much as he could like teach them to do. And then they they did have to do some digital stuff you know, to, to those shots afterward, but um, they're just really great scenes. And it's kind of wild to think about trying to train a fox and a deer and a crow to do these things. The scene where he 
um, is like beating the crow and he's in his little hole there in the woods in the foxhole and the crow is in there. That was, it shows you them, them filming that in some of the bonus material. And there was, the, the bird was real in there and they have a fake hole made. Like that was on the studio set and he's like crawled in there and he's really kind of doing battle in real life with this bird. And the bird is like, yeah, spawning it's the most resilient bird of all time. Yeah, it's so wild. One of the interesting things that I read is like that a tree will produce like a thousand acorns, but it needs just one to carry on its lifeline. So if you think of like a tree as like a human lifeline, you can drop a thousand acorns. You only need one to fertilize, to continue. Right. That kind of ties into some of the symbolism of all the like the wasted life, you know, all, all of the... Yes, Pro, the the wasted progeny, and also I forgot about the little the little birdie. Right, right when she is feeling better, the mm. little like chick birdie falls out of the tree and the gets hawk. promptly swooped yes. up and eaten by a hawk right in front of her. To me, the yeah. acorns, uh, I thought of the same type of thing. Like it was almost like uh, either like of sperm or yes, like right. uh, like lemmings, exactly. lemmings yeah, jumping exactly. off the cliff, and only a few of them live. We've talked about how this movie looks beautiful. It was shot by Anthony Dodd Mantle, did cinematography. He ended up winning the Academy Award for Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, he would do 28 Days Later, and he's done a bunch of Von Trier and Danny Boyle stuff. Also, the music in this, I was curious to get Dave's take on the music, but it was done by Christian Eidnes Anderson. He's done tons of Von Trier, uh, including sound and sound design, not just not just uh, the, the score. Um, but... Dave, did you I like loved, the I music? I love the score, but even more than the score, uh, the sound design that we're talking about, and yeah. the, all the the little sounds that create like, you know, suspense. Well, for me, the most disturbing and final note on Antichrist, of everything that we saw in this movie, there are extended scenes where he and she are both wearing nothing but t-shirts. More naked than naked. That's, Pants that's, optional, baby. Like Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, yeah. no, that's called Porky Pigging. <laughs> it's not, yep. It's yep. not okay. We got married in a fever Hotter than a pepper sprout We've been talking about Jackson Ever since the fire went out I'm going to Jackson I'm gonna mess around yeah, I'm going to Jackson. Look out, Jackson Town. We'll go on down to Jackson. Go ahead and wreck your hell. Go play your hand, you big top man. Make a big fool of yourself. Yeah, go to Jackson. All right, for the second film for the Till Death Do Us Part episode. Before I get to the film, I would like to talk about something that happened recently when I was home. And that is, Trent and I went and saw a movie called Pig. And I, I have this really bad habit of playing with my wedding ring. So I'm married. And <laughs> oh, at the God. very beginning of the movie, I'm, I'm nervously playing with my wedding ring, excited to see this movie that Trent's told me about. Like, oh, it's great. Like, let's check this out. And I drop my wedding ring and it rolls all the way to the end of the theater. Trent and I are the only two people in this theater. So I'm freaking out, but I don't want to fuck up our experience of watching this movie together. So I wait till the end of the movie and I'm like, Trent, I, I still can't find my wedding ring. It has to be here. 
and I go. Trent starts literally laying on the floor of this movie theater, which is disgusting. That's it's right. Covered yeah. in That's decades, friendship. yeah, decades yeah. of popcorn and saliva and bodily fluids and M and M's and Reese's pieces. I go and ask Just these teenagers that are trying to close the movie down, "Can I get a flashlight?" And Trent and I are frantically. Trent, you're such a good friend. Like you are there till the end, and I find my wedding ring positioned perfectly underneath a seat that has not been sat in so it's still like sort of in its upright position and the wedding ring is like standing perfectly yes. up underneath it i i saw also, this this happen also it was trent part. trent had trent had also lost his vape pen in his search it had in fallen my search, out of his yeah, it, while i was crawling around on my belly on the floor of the theater through the jizz and the soda <laughs> while i was doing that yes. for this wedding ring i lost my vape pen so now all of a sudden we're both things are missing and it's going from bad to worse yeah it's it's a it's a double investigation uh but you know what we recovered both everything was fine i debated yes. telling my wife about the whole thing and we had a great conversation, uh, you know, leaving the theater at my car about the movie. But anyway, that that's a sort of till death do us part, not just my wedding ring, but Trent and I. That was just one of many occasions when I've been annoyed by married people, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rightfully so. So anyway, the, the, the next movie that we're going to talk about this week is Ready or Not, which is a much different conversation that we're going to have that we just had for Antichrist. So this this movie came out in 2019 and totally got the shaft from, I think, uh, COVID. Should have done a lot better, but it did great. I mean, this is a, a little film that was made for six mil. It made 58 mil at the box office. Yeah, surprised. Yeah, it, it, yeah, total surprise, but not really. You have Samara Weaving, who is now like a little horror. She's a screen queen for sure. But essentially what you have is Grace. Grace is about to enter holy matrimony with the Ladomas family, with Alex, her fiance. The Ladomas family is a gaming empire, or dominion, as they like to call themselves. And they're very, very rich. However, one thing they require you to do is to have the wedding at their estate. And then at midnight, you have to play a game if you're going to marry into the family. So Grace and Alex get married. Grace has to play the game. She picks the game hide-and-seek. And then we discover that the entire family needs to now kill her in order to keep their holy, or I guess unholy, packed with Satan. This was so fun to rewatch. It's I can't... I can't give this movie enough praise. Like the way that we praise Antichrist is the way is very different from the way that we're going to praise Ready or Not. However, the acting in this, the tongue-in-cheek stuff, like the homages to horror, everything, I love this. And honestly, like Cat, this entire week I couldn't stop thinking about you. One, Aww. Antichrist, I knew that we were going to have to get into the shit and talk about it pretty deep, and I was, like, terrified about that. But two, watching Ready or Not, I was like, Samara Weaving slash Grace is Cat. Like, the way she kept Aww. ripping her wedding dress off to, like, fit how she needed to deal with the current challenges, but also, like, wearing the chucks, like the yellow chucks. And, like, ripping off her wedding and you, dress. <laughs> 
<laughs> but also, oh like God. you, you look like Samara Weaving. Like the way what? that she would like, wow, it's really lame. Chuckle it and like <laughs> snort and like the bullshit. Like the way that she would handle stuff. I was like, I'm literally watching my friend and co-host Cat oh on. This is the nicest movie. thing I feel like you've ever said to me. Not that you don't say nice no, things to me is. all the time. I think it is. Oh I my th- god! I, I think it's an upgrade from the Drew Barrymore comparison you said before. I mean, that was also pretty cool mm, for me. That actually, no, that was better. Yeah. Well. Either way, I'm just gonna pass this around the table now because I fucking love this movie and I challenge oh, anyone to sweet. say it wasn't great. Oh. Well, uh, Kevin, I appreciate that. That's a very nice compliment. Um, I would like to think that I am that character for sure, but I'm pretty sure. I would have died way earlier in the film (laughs) (laughs) than this character. Um, This was a very nice palate cleanser for this week for me. Um, I like this movie a lot. Um, I've seen it um, a few times before this week, before my rewatch. Because it's just, yeah, I've seen it a few times. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it's just a fun, it's just like Kevin said, it's a fun watch. It's with some like tense and like gory parts, you know, kind of sprinkled in. Um, I think the script itself is really funny and the cast is great. I love uh, the actress who plays Grace, obviously. Um, She's very, like, super likable and very funny, like, very good at delivering these lines. all the rest of the acting was pretty fun too. I loved the drugged out sister. Uh, she was one of my favorite characters. She was just always like doing, eating some kind of pill or doing some kind of cocaine. And then there was that moment when her husband's like, let's get you an edible, let's even you out a little bit. I was like, yes, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, I obviously loved uh, Seth Cohen, AKA Adam Brody is my favorite, the OC for all my um, uh, millennials out there. Um, obviously for me the most unlikable character is Alex the new husband who is a butthole and should have just broken up with Grace instead of marrying her and putting her through all of these shenanigans Uh, you try to root for him a little throughout the movie but then by the end you truly realize what a selfish dickweed uh, this guy is Uh, I think the big moral of the story is that rich people are just the worst and I wholeheartedly agree um, I would I like to be one someday? Absolutely. Uh, but I will share this sentiment until our podcast makes us uh, buttloads of cash. So I can't wait for that moment. <laughs> I will be holding my breath for that. But yeah, just a fun tongue-in-cheek horror movie with a lot of humor, some fun gore. I personally loved the headshot right off the jump of the hunt. Um, and subs- and the subsequent body twitching and gurgling that followed said uh, headshot. I thought that was cute. Uh, I um, and I also always love when a bratty kid just gets punched square in the face. Mm, yeah, <laughs> really, <laughs> really gets me going. Uh, so that was really nice for me. Um, also, I just you know I really related with the Aunt Helene character. I feel like <laughs> I feel like she's the one I related with. Mommy the most. of the week. <laughs> um, I just want to be here when I grow up so I just love this movie and I'd watch it again and again and again I had never seen this before I remember uh, when this came out Wow! yeah because it got such a quick run at the local theater I remember seeing it I was like oh that looks good 
And it just kind of like came and went, and I, I, I never got it together to see. And then I kind of forgot about it until it came up for this week. So I was psyched uh, to go into this. It was a little weird for me. Like, I, I watched this uh, after I had been, like, submerged in Antichrist for a few days. Uh, so I, I was kind of like... It's a it's a tough transition to go from Antichrist to Ready or Not. It's almost zany. Yeah, it, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, you're on a different planet. Um, but I loved it. I thought this this reminded me a lot of um, a movie called Your Next, which I, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about. Yeah. From 2011, it reminded me a lot of like um, Happy Death Day, which I really liked too. Yeah. I, I think this is like squarely in the tradition of you know top notch horror comedy. Um, I didn't think of Cat. You didn't occur to me. I thought of you a lot during Antichrist. Oh my God! But during this, I, I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't make that connection. Um, I'll have to think about that some more. Um, but I thought this was very smart. I was surprised to see Andy McDowell mm-hmm. um, make an appearance in this, and she's really, really good as like the the matriarch of the family. Um, I, I thought all the performances were really good. Um, Hill Satan. You know, it all it all comes mm-hmm. back to Hail Satan. I, I love when movies do that. I, I'm kind of like uh, notorious on this show for panning Rosemary's Baby a little bit. But when, when I hear Hail Satan in a movie, I feel like I'm watching something made by someone of my tribe. So I had a really good a good time watching this. I watched it a couple times because the first time I was still like trying to like think about the Bible and stuff. And I, it doesn't really work with this movie. Mm-mm. You can't like think about that stuff. Um, the little anti-man, if you ask me. But uh, good time, very good time. I like this movie. Um, it's like you were saying. It's like uh, your next. It, it also reminded me of like Knives Out with a generational yes. affluent. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that estate yeah. horror. And yeah, like, you know um, uh, the hunt. It, and the thing, like I love Samara. What's her last name? Weaving or something like that. Weaving. Samara Weaving. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I love her character. And the thing I like most about her character is that everyone she's like meeting all her in-laws and everyone that tries to kill her and she knows they're trying to kill her she tries to like develop a relationship with them first she's not like a coward she's not like please but she's like talking to them and trying to like uh be there like in law like trying to mm-hmm. make it like not trying to make it work but she tries to develop a relationship with every single person that's trying to kill her and before she ends up killing them or they accidentally kill themselves. Uh, I love the slapstick like deaths in this yeah. and they culminate to the ultimate slapstick death scene, um, oh. which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, you know, it was like a great, there's like this genre of movie have come out like maybe within a few years of the pandemic or so there are like, like the hunt, reminding me of this and right, Becky reminding me right. of this they're like uh, just this mid budget like there might be a few stars in it and um, I, I dig it I, I uh, super splatter fest I, I was totally down yeah this is a rental right now and I would highly recommend it but it did remind me of the hunt a ton and that's on HBO Max right now so you have that I would highly recommend checking out this movie and then going watching the hunt because both of them and I I didn't pick up on this the first time I watched ready or not like how classist it was and maybe that's just me being naive and stupid but holy shit like it's a huge take on just 
rich fucks and what they're not willing to accept or understand about themselves. And I never picked up in, in I've seen this movie three or four times. I never picked up that like Samara Weaving's character, Grace was an orphan. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful in this. Uh, but Dave, Grey Call, like The Hunt, uh, the new slasher series that's out now on Shudder uh, is also very much in this vein. Um, but what I never realize is the gore. Guys, the gore in this movie is so fucking good. It's so gory. I never picked up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the... Um well, there's that scene where, you know, uh, Grace finally kind of like escapes the grounds a little bit and she's like trying to flag down a car. And of course, like this, they're in a rich neighborhood. And so she tries to wave down this car to like, she's obviously like covered in blood and like in distress. And the car just like zooms by and she's just like screaming. She's like, fucking rich people. I'm like, yeah, they're yes. like, get out of the fucking road. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Knives Out. And that was one of the first movies I thought of because of the introduction. It's it's not a whodunit. That's one thing that I wouldn't say it detracts, but when it when the movie sets itself up, it reminded me of Knives Out because it's intri- it's doing the classic thing. It actually reminded me of what was the Granny's movie we watched, Dave? Yeah. What was the What was the, the name of it? The trauma. Uh, what was the Granny's one that you did? What, Rabbit Grannies? Yeah. Rabbit Grannies, okay. I yes, couldn't remember. It was like that too. Yeah. We talked about Rabbit Grannies. That's a very classic like film setup where you're introduced one by one to a, a, a large extended family, an eccentric, uh, at least one person at least is rich, if not the whole family, and you get kind of these characters one by one, and you, you kind of have to start keeping track a little bit, and you're, you're meeting everyone and their wives and their kids and their husbands and all this stuff. Um, the aunts and the uncles. So it, it, at first, I thought it was going to be a, a more in the whodunit realm, and th- there's no whodunit in this at all. Like it, it. We haven't spoiled a thing. It's like run for your life. We're going to try to kill you. Um, but I thought it was like kind of steeped in that sort of tradition, and I love that. I love meeting that family cast at the beginning of a movie and trying to like figure out who is the black sheep and who is the coke addict and you know <laughs> who is the weirdo and all this stuff. That was really fun to me. I also like that they're heirs of like a game. Company. Yeah, yeah. So they're and, all obsessed yes. with games and this tradition that goes way back, and it it, it kind of ties into this uh, what sounds like a deal with the devil, but you're not quite sure the whole time. Yeah, and when we really, say games, we don't mean like video games. They're they're board a, games. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a board game empire where they have all or what, what Dominion? Pardon me. It's a board, board game, game empire. <laughs> <Dominion. laughs> yeah. <Boardwalk Empire. laughs> yeah, they're they're clearly being like, this is old money. Yes, it's old money. Right, very like old. It's, yes, uh, my grand great grandfather was on a boat with a guy. Got a box, like tricked him into trusting him or something. Got the box. They started with board games, and I love how the dad, who's played um, uh, by Henry Zerny, I think is how you say Tony is the dad, and yeah. he's like, now we have acquired four major sports teams like they're just like rich beyond rich and i love how they play that whole thing in and it it, it's really well done that like samara weaving is purported to be just marrying for the money and alex her fiance who is a son that has left the family and only recently come back because this is the tradition is like we have to get married here 
I love how they play that. And I love the old money aspect. Like there's a lot we can unpack there where it's just, it's old fucking white money. One of my favorite scenes in this is in the beginning when uh, Andy McDowell's character, who is the uh, the matriarch of the family, uh, what's her name in the family? Um, Becky. Andy McDowell plays Becky. She's the mom. Such a such a weird name for like a patriarchal mom. I know, right? It, it's really good. I think there's a lot of pretty sly humor. Like there's a lot of very obvious like slapstick humor, but there's a lot of sly stuff in this too. So Becky is like giving this whole speech to Grace, um, the the new member of the family. And it's so classically passive aggressive to me. Like she gives her the speech and, and you've probably heard it or you've given it or both where it's like everyone else here hates you but I don't. <laughs> you know that speech yep. where you're like, yep. oh man, it must be hard. Everyone here hates you, but I'm on your side. I like you. I think you're good. It Don't you know? Don't let it get to you that everyone here thinks you're trash. Don't let that get you down. Mm. I know you, you feel low rent because every, everybody thinks you're just uh, in, in it for the money and you're just a whore and all this, but I'm talking your, to me. I'm your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> We've, listen, we've heard it, we've given it, we all know that speech, and I thought that was really funny. I don't know, I, I mean, I think we're taking a lot away from Samara Weaving in this, and that the second that you realize that this is like hide-and-seek, she's like, okay, I'll go hide, and then she realizes, wait, the entire family wants to kill me. You can talk about the cast for days. It's every single character is cast perfectly. They act perfectly. But Samara weaving throughout this, like her journey is so good. Like from hiding in the in the the dumb waiter. Am I saying that? Is that right? Yep. And then coming out and being like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's my it's literally the night that I got married. I'm getting out of the dumb waiter. And then the way that she navigates this and moves through characters like Stevens, who is like the butler slash like Swiss army knife of this family and through everybody, the way that Emily that you were talking about, the, you know, always doing drugs and being fucked up. And, and honestly, we haven't talked about Fitch who is Emily's husband. Oh, I love Fitch. And, <laughs> and, and, and the members of this family that have just married into the family for the money and sold their souls and like when Fitch goes and he's like, uh, he gets a crossbow. So when the game starts, they all get weapons and Grace is running off to be like, okay, well, we're playing hide and seek. I just got married. Everything's fine. I'm going to go play hide and seek, go to bed, have sex with my husband. We'll get up tomorrow. We're going to escape this forever. And then you cut to the family being armed to the teeth with like 1800s weapons and Fitch gets a crossbow. And he ducks into a bathroom and is like, uh, I'm going to watch a YouTube video on how to uh, use my new crossbow. <laughs> and in the video, that's actually the two guys that wrote the movie. Oh, really? Oh, yes, wow. Doing the uh, crossbow instruction. Okay, yeah. They're part of like a, a directing collective they were involved no those are the writers the directors are a part of a collective oh uh, okay matt, i'm sorry right. matt bettinelli op uh open and tyler galetti are two-thirds of radio silence right that right. did like the halloween segment on vhs they did devil's do which i need to check out because i never realized that movie made 37 million dollars they did a segment on southbound they're all involved the writers 
cinematographer, like everybody is involved in the new Scream movie that's coming out. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, the dudes from the crossbow video are the writers. Well, I just want to shout out uh, the mutilator one more time because I want to get back to the conversation <laughs> about the weapons in this because uh, they're all about tradition. So all the weapons are like these really old antique weapons. <laughs> yeah, you have right, antique right. weapon malfunction like constantly or people don't know how to use them. Uh, and that's so great because a lot of the deaths are just some malfunction that happens yes. or – but they have to use these old primitive, and, uh, right, like a giant right. axe and a crossbow. That gun looks really old-fashioned. Yeah. And Emily, the cokehead, keeps uh, accidentally killing the maids. Yes. Like, yes. Every time. <laughs> her, her gun, her gun is the one from Clue. Oh. It's, it's the original gun from Clue. Oh my wow. God. And, and they haven't done this. I think they say like seven years or something. Or oh, like twenty years. Like oh, they're 20. like, yeah, oh, this way, is only ever happened. So they don't once. really yeah. know what they're doing. Right. They yeah. don't always. Right. It, it, because she drew the card, the hide and seek card. She would yeah. have survived this night had she not drawn that one card. Right. So they're not like skilled in this, even yeah. though it's a tradition. Most of them have not seen an actual hide and seek oh newlywed kill. Yeah. It's <laughs> they so, are pretty yeah. DTM though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because they sold their souls. They're like, yeah, let's keep staying rich. Um, but my fa- like, one of my favorite parts is when that fucking cokehead sister's like, why does this keep happening to me? Because she just keeps murdering people on murdering accident. Murdering servants. She's just a fucking idiot. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> well, we saw uh, Samara Weaving, Kevin. Uh, she was in Mayhem, which we yep. talked about on, uh, on the Patreon. That was like a... a that was was that after that was after this I guess or was it before I think Mayhem was before this right Oh yeah this, You've seen Mayhem Yeah Mayhem she's also in the Babysitter and the Babysitter Yeah the oh, Babysitter yeah, and, and, yep. right. and she's and in a new Hulu one. series with Nicole Kidman that I just watched the other day Ooh. and she's like Yeah uh, she plays like a kind of like a bimbo in it but she's it's actually a really smart role I, I, I think Is that the Nine actress. Perfect Strangers or whatever Yeah that's the one I feel like yeah. between this and Mayhem, Samara Weaving is like an action star now. She could probably do Screen a, Queen. A, like, yeah, Johanna Wick movie or something. Um, I would, though. Uh, yeah, that's right. That just I just came up with that, Dave. That just happened. All right. Uh, Mommy of the Week <laughs> I like it. is not Samara Weaving, though. My nominee for Mommy of the Week would be Elise Levesque, who plays Charity, the wow. wife of Dan, Alex's brother. Mm. Who, who's kind of like uh, he's kind of like the cool brother-in-law who actually steps up in this movie to be she like was the in, one person she was he knows in that family is garbage and he makes a lot of funny comments about it. Um, but uh, I love Elise Levesque. Do you remember uh, Pilgrim from the Thanksgiving episode? Oh yeah, yeah. Elise Levesque was Patience. Oh shit! Oh. The most like fucking nut uh, other than like okay. the dude. I, I know she she's was done the a most bunch of TV. nuts character in that. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I liked her too. She's like the like, like that hard nosed executive direct. Yeah, right. Kinda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, th- I, th- I the rich, more powerful than me, like super cutthroat women, are really attractive. <laughs> you well, yeah. You um, had a crush on Melania for a while. Yes. Uh, you like the ice. <laughs> I'm in the you like the ice queens. Like, you like yeah. the rich ice queens. They tell me how broke I am. <laughs> <laughs> Insult me, daddy. <laughs> I want you to fuck me in the class. <laughs> Hit me so it hurts. Oh, my God. 
cancel. Oh, God. I thought one thing that set this movie apart from some of the movies that we've talked about, not that You're Next or, or Knives Out or um, even, I thought it was kind of even a little bit Cabin in the Woods at points, but certainly more like Mayhem. Um, one thing for a horror comedy, this is shot beautifully. It, it looks really good. Like every frame, every shot of this movie seems like pro. I don't know who did the... Um, who was the director of photography on this? But it looks excellent. Why does it? No, it was. It more? was. Is again just like the last movie where we have like an established crew of people that have worked with Von Trier for a long time. You have a bunch of people that haven't like really broke into the mainstream, but they are now. So cinematography was Brett Jukowitz. He's doing the new Scream movie. He's done Stranger Things. He's done a bunch of stuff with the directors of this movie. And the music was uh, Brian Tyler, who's doing the new Scream. But he's done a bunch of, like, really major Hollywood stuff, like Fast and the Furious. So you're, you're sort of watching people push themselves into the mainstream. Uh, and the makeup and effects on this, like, there are people from, like, Invisible Man, Hereditary, It, The Strain, Hannibal, the TV show. So... Uh, this had a lot of stuff behind it. So this was, it's not quite the indie that could. It had a ton of people behind it that really drove it to how good this movie ended up being. Uh, aren't the directors, uh, Matt and Tyler, they have too many last names. Aren't they doing the new Scream? Scream 5? That's what he said, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh, like, oh like, I thought you were talking about the DP. They're, they're bringing the whole crew along. So right. I think we're, what we're watching is like a sort of like James Wan, like just mike flanagan like people that bring people up with them into like what they're doing in the mainstream why does it bother me more when like someone hurts their foot or their hand than if they just get like their whole face blown off yeah yeah or they get like cut in half and half their bodies over there and their intestines are in between Please. that doesn't bother me but you get a splinter or your fingernail god forbid you break a nail mm. it's more relatable foot, it's the phalanges so you I just freak out. I have a flange of Phalanges. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding this movie to my list of the many, many times, we've talked about this before, where I have watched someone have their foot or hand nailed mm. and then have to pull the hand oh, off the yeah. nail. This movie you gives s- you I, that. Yeah, I feel like it was that moment where it's like people like us watch this movie and they show the nail and we're like, oh, I know what's about to happen. <laughs> you know, that's right. The old rusty nail on the staircase. In this case, it's a ladder, but same thing. Yeah. I thought there was one very direct connection between this and Antichrist when you're talking about, like, the familial bonds, and we talked about, like, trying to do therapy on your spouse and all of this. When uh, Becky, played by Andy McDowell, gives Alex, the groom, this whole speech about uh, no girl that you've known for a year and a half knows you better than I do. And that's exactly what he says to she in Antichrist. No doctor knows you better uh. than me. And those are the kind of like evil, familial, or marital connections that, you know, people can kind of distort. And, you know, I know you best. I know you better than her. Mm. And I know you better than them. And, you know, they'll never know you like I do. No one's going to love you more than I do. It's exactly. No right. one. Exactly. That's you the implication. Piece of shit. Yes. I hope that the listeners didn't think that the Death Do Us Part episode would end with a happy ending and there would be like a wedding at the end and someone to run back from the airport and say I always loved you you know it's <laughs> ugly this week Ugh. I love it it's how all marriages are 
Um, I thought one of the more, like, uh, philosophical points of this movie is when Alex gives his speech about how um, it's easy to do anything if your family thinks it's okay. In that idea that this is your, like, moral framework. And if, if mommy and daddy think it's good and your brother thinks it's good and your sister... Uh, as long as you're all in it together, you can kind of like morph your own morality and and groups of people can decide that one thing is totally fine because they all tell themselves that it's totally fine. And that can like be very different from what you might think was totally fine if you weren't part of that. That's exactly that group, why I yeah. stuff bugs in my underwear and crush them. Yeah, because your parents weren't of that. Right. What? <laughs> I was waiting for the punchline. I don't know. I, 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 I had it. I didn't even know I had it. It was crickets. <laughs> oh God, dear God, make me a bird so I could fly far away from here. So let's get into the spoilers. You got some some biblical shit from uh, the first movie? No, I don't no. really have. Yeah, I. I I needed answers. <laughs> I come to this podcast with like. I just oh, well, didn't Kevin want to give away the the mutilation thing about the feet, like that she had been torturing the child. I just didn't want to. That that's like such a fucking great reveal. Well, that's what. We, that's what we'll talk I just yeah. didn't want to say that in the. But why was she torturing or, or, the child? Or she was She's also watching crazy. him. She oh. was watching him while getting fucked by Willem Dafoe. She was watching. Okay, him but all oh, right. Came out the window. See, I don't know that. But this is the thing. I don't know that that was real like that was in her mind so that was real it was real i think it was real there's a reason they went it back to black and white trent there's a reason okay that's why the ending is so that's why the ending is so fucking confusing because he's saying this shit is real okay okay great Uh, that's what i wanted to hear so so you're saying that as indicated by the shift back to black and white as the prologue of the movie is in black and white that when she's remembering that scene where she opens her eyes and looks and sees Nick going for the window and does nothing, you're saying that that was real, that was her actual real memory. That's part of why she was so racked mm-hmm. with guilt, why she was so inconsolable and catatonic, because yeah. not only was she no, torturing what him. I'm saying, what I'm saying is that she's not even that racked by guilt by that. I'm saying she's racked by guilt that she let that shit happen without even fucking thinking about it and just watching it. Mm. And now she's dealing with the fact that she let all of that happen and she's just fucking like, how did I let that happen? Well, she was already and torturing now him. now I have to deal with it after the fact. But she was already torturing him. That was that was the reveal I didn't want to say in the middle. Yep. She yeah. was before yeah. that, long she before that, she was like on the wrong torturing feet, him to the like, point where his bones, he had mutilated feet because of what she had done to him. Yes. Fucked up. Love and marriage. Hmm. In a baby it's carriage, not- am I right? <laughs> so the spoiler. I she talk she about- tied she tied a balloon to a a teddy bear, and then turned the baby monitor to mute. And, and then let must all have that happened. Oh, opened whoa, the baby whoa, gate, whoa, whoa. right? I didn't get. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, the baby gate was open. Yeah. I was no, like, no, sue no, the baby no, no, gate no, no. people, the baby but it opened was her. the baby gate. She, no, but, the baby she opened was aware it. the baby could open the baby. So think about it. The name Nick is backwards is sin. Kevin, you're killing me. Go. 
So she knew that he could open the baby gate. And what she did is she tied a balloon to a, to a bear and she turned the uh, baby monitor to mute. Did they show that? And she was like, I'm going to have some sex now, which she fucking absolutely should be able to do. Of course. Here's did they show her turn the mute on? I didn't see that. Yeah, in the in, in the intro, the mute oh, is, is I didn't clearly get that. Oh, clearly okay. displayed. Oh, so wow. she tied a balloon to a baby bear, right? And then turned the baby monitor to mute and said, "I'm going to have some sex," yeah, which she right. should absolutely be able to do. And then she watched him, and she knew that he was old enough to open up the baby gate, and she watched him do that. And as they were fucking, she watched him climb up and did nothing. Right. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if she was just, in her mind, she was over-guilting herself and she was imagining if she had looked or something. I didn't know. Well, if, that that, you know. Is the, that is the tragedy. She was over-guilting herself. Because well, well, what she we was need torturing, to be thinking about, child I to think, die, in this movie yeah, is... Yeah, out the window, maybe you should cut off your vagina. No, but what we should be thinking about is should she be overthinking her guilt? How much pressure is put on somebody in that situation? Well, it depends. It depends on what you're talking about. If it's just a, like it seemed in the beginning, like it's an innocent thing that grown-ups do, or if it's in the end where it seemed like you were explaining it sounds like it was all kind of planned, that's fucked up. The two gravest sins traditionally are despair and pride and he and she in this movie both evince those sins she is committing the sin of despair which is the greatest sin because you're 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 saying that there, nothing can save you nothing can help you that there's you're you're sort of rejecting any idea of salvation when you despair and he committed the sin of pride thinking that he could somehow solve this that he was bigger than this and he was smarter than everyone and that he knew what to do and he knew his wife so those were like the twin sins okay this is adam and eve going to eden in the mirror world that was created by satan instead of god and those are the two sins they commit and that's where everything kind of like that's that's what they're dealing with the fallout from all i wanted to say is the spoiler <laughs> for ready or not is dope because they fucking explode everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great payoff. Yeah, everyone explodes. Spoiler alert. Oh. Everyone explodes. So good. Except for Grace. And I wanted to um, mention, I think she would be the heir of the yeah, Madoma's yeah. Uh, fortune, like, right? That's what I was thinking. Like, doesn't she own it all now? Right. Like, that's what I was wondering. Is yep. done. Everyone's exploded. Like, <laughs> And she they all ends the thing like smoking a butt, reason. and she's like, yeah. "Fucking in-laws!" But yo, you just inherited everything, right? Yeah, that that's uh, hey, that I think that's as good of, of an end of any marriage as you can really hope for. You know, all your in-laws explode, and you get all the money. But now she has to kill people, or she explodes. I don't think so because oh, the the she, guy she the, did marry him, but she didn't explode. The though. ghost guy in the chair gave her like yes. the. Like, like a nod. He gave her it. a nod. He's like, good job. And then he like yeah. disappears. So, but, but when she's walking to the room, like the last game she sees is called public defendant. So is she now going to be up for being 
prosecuted for all of the deaths. Uh, I was wondering that too. But I, I thought they were all going to burn up like the other family that the dad mentioned and nobody would know and she gets the money. Catharsis. I want a franchise. It shouldn't be a surprise. Splat.